The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man then than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the very word of God. Be to God. Amen. As we dive into this passage this morning, I do want to highlight if you are visiting with us this morning, we really want to know you're here. Um, and that's why we put this bottom section on the bulletin that you might fill it out and uh, just put it in the offering plate as it comes by. Um, and to our members and regular visitors, we just encourage you uh, not only to fill out the pledge card, but also to give. Uh, we are facing a significant deficit um, of $165,000. And uh, we need to give sacrificially. We have preached on it and have been getting information about this. Um, I put some ideas on the round this week of things you might give up to be able to, to give creative ways that we can um, give and meet this deficit. As we said a couple of weeks ago, this is all of our issue. This is all of our challenge and all of our opportunity um, to step up and to give. Um, I know that we have so many young people in this body and so many young people who are giving. Uh, I would encourage you to think creatively of uh, maybe how you might reach out to others um, and, and even employ them to help us erase this deficit as we go into this Advent season. So um, we also have... I don't know if there's a short video, but we can give now on our phones. Uh, you can text a special number. Do you have that, Matthew? Is it coming? There we go. It's really easy. Um, just text uh, downtown church to 732. Is that 56? It's that easy. So uh, I encourage you to do that. Um, give any way you can. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now as we uh, consider this topic or continue to consider this topic of Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we uh, just pray you'd open our hearts and minds to the beauty of the rest that you give us. 
that, Father, even when we face deficits, even when we face illness, even when we face loss of job, even when we face um, the reality that our lives have not worked out the way we dreamed and even planned, Father, no matter what is going on in our lives, you give us hope because, Lord Jesus, we were made for you to fill our soul. Not for you to fill our soul with stuff that will satisfy us, but for you to fill our soul because you are the one that satisfies our soul. And so, God, this morning I pray that you would send your spirit to open our hearts to how we may practically rest in you. Father, I pray that we would hear the call to Sabbath rest, that we would see the blessing of it, that we would see the liberation of it, and that, God, you would work in us this morning, that we might have this amazing gift. Oh, God, thank you that Jesus has overcome this world through his resurrection and that we have hope, indeed, even life everlasting. Open our eyes, our ears now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Studies are clear and conclusive that children that grow up in homes by caregivers or with caregivers that have uh, real nurturing, loving abilities that those children grow up to be healthier adults. Uh, the studies are really conclusive that, that children who grow up in neglect, uh, because of the uncertainty that it brings, because they don't know if they're going to have the next meal, they don't know if they're going to have clothes or have the, the needs that, that every child has, because of the uncertainty that it creates, and especially in an abusive, not just neglectful, but an abusive or traumatic situation that, that these children grow up with deep uncertainty and a real inability to rest. One source said this, toxic levels of stress hormones released in the child of a body, in, in the body of a child, can cause a child to develop a low threshold for stress becoming overly reactive to adverse experiences throughout life. In other words, that child has the, or that child, when they experience just normal challenges, their body responds as if it's real traumatic and, and real stress. They cannot rest. Friends, if the gospel is clear about anything, it's this whole reality that we have a father who really loves us. And the Father's love for us as Christians is so powerful that it should transcend any home environment and any situation that we face or circumstance that we face in our lives. That's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 6 when he, he tells us not to be anxious. He tells us not to worry. And he said, hey, look at the, look at the birds. I mean, doesn't your Father feed them? Doesn't your father give them water? Look at the flowers of the field. Doesn't your father clothe them? And then he says at the end of this passage in verses 31 through 33, Therefore, since you have a father, since God is your father, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What Jesus is saying is, whoever your functional father is will determine your ability to take deep Sabbath rest. Another way to put it is, unless you trust God as your father, unless you give yourself to him as your father, your king, your ruler, the one who is your provider, then you will not experience the kind of rest for which you were made. We kicked off our Advent season last week. And we're looking at this, this, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 where um, we we read in chapter 9 verse 1, Behold, a child is born to you. And, And we see this child is named the Prince of Peace. This... This Jesus, this Messiah who would come would be the Prince of Peace. Why? Because he would give his people peace. As we see, the the purpose of Sabbath is to manifest the peace of God in our lives so as we can have enjoyment of God so that we can be restored to the peace that we were created for, but also so that we will be marked by peace in a world of anxiety, worry, worry, and turmoil. You see, as a community, we should be the most restful people. And yet, are we the most restful people? And I will say, no, we are not, especially this time of year. And that's why we're tackling this whole topic right now. That's why we're putting so much effort into it. We're doing two special Sunday schools starting next Sunday morning uh, at St. Pat's Activity Center at 9 o'clock. Please come. I'll be leading that one. Uh, Danielle Shelley will be be leading the one on uh, December 16th. We've also, Michael and I have created, um, uh, written some devotionals that follow our sermons um, throughout this month. Please pick one of these up. Uh, They should be in the back. You can pick one up if you haven't already done it. And please just take them, use them during the week to practically practice Sabbath rest throughout the week. But the passage before us this morning is also a door that we can walk through that helps us understand the Sabbath rest that Jesus affords us. You see, Jesus is the one who empowers Sabbath rest. That's what we see in this passage. In the instance in which um, Jesus leads the disciples into the field and tells them to eat the grain on the Sabbath. It's what he is telling us when he heals the hand, uh, the withered hand of the man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He is saying, I am Lord of your rest, and I am the one who empowers your rest. It demands that you trust me. Sabbath is a person for the Christian. It's not a set of, it's not a list of, uh, uh, of things to do or not do. It is a person, and his name is Jesus. So how does Jesus empower our rest? Three ways. First, he tells us in this text that I will feed you on the Sabbath. Men and women, you can rest. The followers of other gods cannot take a day off because their God's acceptance depends on how much they do or what they don't do. But friends, that's religion. That's how many people approach the God of Christianity. But that is not the God of Christianity. 
He does not treat you as your sins deserve. He doesn't tell you, go to work and I'll see if I'm going to love you. No, he is a God of rest. He's a God that says, I will feed you on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is doing here. Do you think, I mean, look at, he, he goes to great lengths to make this point to his disciples. He could have fed them a whole host of different ways. He did not have to feed them in the fields on the Sabbath. He is making a point and he knew that these Pharisees were going to be watching. I mean, do you really think he thought, well, maybe they won't see us? No. He knew exactly what was happening because they were always watching. They were trying to catch him. They were like the National Enquirer, you know. They wanted to, to take the picture and tweet it out and, and discredit Jesus altogether. And yet he said, okay, I'll play that game. Watch me feed my disciples. Watch me break not God's law, but your law. You see, Jesus was within God's law, Deuteronomy 23, 25. If you go into your neighbor's uh, standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you can't just go into your neighbor's uh, field and take as much as you want to start chopping, looking around, I hope he didn't see me. But if you're hungry, your neighbor's heart is not just for himself, but in God's economy, he works for the good, not of himself, not for his own kingdom, but the kingdom of God, the people of God. And so, yes, a, a generous businessman or a godly businessman is generous. He gives. And that's exactly what's happening here. He wasn't breaking God's law. He was breaking the Pharisees' law. They had come up uh, with 32 rules called the halakha. And the halakha was a, a, a list of rules of things you could do or not do on the Sabbath. And one of them stated, you are not to pluck heads of grain. You are not to harvest on the Sabbath. And so he was breaking their rule, not the rule of God. And there's an important principle here that Jesus lays out in verses 7 through 8. He says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guilty. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark puts it this way in his gospel in uh, Mark chapter 2, 27. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Friends, the Old Testament is clear, the Bible is clear that the Sabbath is not a day that is governed by the law and therefore duty. But the Sabbath is a day of liberation. We are liberated from the law and we are liberated from our work that we might trust God to provide for us. And yet, to trust God to provide for us, we have to actively rest. Notice these disciples followed Jesus into the field. They were hungry. They could have said, man, we're too hungry for this, Jesus. We're done for the day. We're out. We're going to take matters in our own hands. We're going to provide for ourselves. We're grown adults. We, we can take care of ourselves. No. They followed Jesus, though their stomachs were growling, and where does Jesus lead them? He leads them into the field. And he says, eat. 
Dear friends, when we follow Jesus, our stomachs may growl, (laughs) but he's going to feed us. Do you understand that this morning? Do you know what's beautiful about this right here? We're all off of work, I think. Hopefully nobody's on their phone doing work, thinking about work. The only reason we can do this, what what we are declaring as the people of God today, is that our God is our provider. We can take a day off and we literally believe he's going to provide for us. But the only way that we can experience that is by taking the time off and experiencing it. These disciples, they didn't take matters into their own hands. They kept following Jesus, though they were starving. And Jesus fed them in his time, according to his means. Most of you know, I took a four-month sabbatical. And I saw this. I knew all these things in my head. I knew the reality that, that God was my provider. But I didn't know it till I did it. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. Don't think about it. Do it. See that God will provide. And he will. Secondly, Jesus declares he empowers us for the Sabbath. He empowers our rest by telling us that we are worth everything. He tells, that's what he's communicating to this man with the withered hand. You are worth more to me than you can possibly imagine. You see, to have a withered hand meant he was unclean. It meant he shouldn't even been around. He was sick. And, and the halakha, the, the, uh, the Jewish law, the traditional law, allowed for healing for life and death situations. But this was not a life or death situation. This was just a withered hand. Jesus could have waited till it was not Sabbath, but he didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? Because he wanted that man to understand what he meant to God. That's what the Sabbath is all about. During the week, when we go to work, when we are laboring in the vineyard, isn't it easy just to feel like we're being used? We're having to be productive. We're putting our hand to the plow. We're getting work done that we might glorify God, that we might have something to give away. We are working But on the Sabbath, when we are not working, many of us use our work to define who we are. And either we're working and we're progressing and we think, oh man, we're doing great. And that becomes our identity. Or we just feel like a slave who's out in the field and we feel really down on ourselves. And on the Sabbath, everybody stops working to hear that we are worth something, not because of the work we do and not because of the work we don't do. But we are worth something because we are God's. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we need to hear. And and that's what we see. Why did he heal this man on the Sabbath? For this reason in verse 12. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? I want you to hear that you are valuable to me. Dear friends, we should work for justice. We should work for us to have equality. We should work for fair wages and fair laws. 
There's nothing wrong with finding when, and, and longing for and looking for a spouse. There's nothing you know, wrong with longing for, praying for even a, a children. We should work for these things that are good. But friends, nothing will satisfy us like Jesus. And that is the point of the Sabbath. It's no matter what your context is, you could be totally, you could be a slave, you could be underpaid, you could be wealthy, but your money is not going to love you like Jesus. And the hope of having money is not going to love you like Jesus. Only Jesus will love you like you were created to be loved. And that's what Jesus wanted to ingrain in the heart and mind of this man. He wanted him to see that this is much more than just your hand. I care about you. I care about making you clean. I care about bringing you to me. And notice that this is in the context of worship. He heals this man's withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's no mistake either. They go to the synagogue to worship. Where do we find, dear friends, why is what we're doing right here the most important thing we do throughout the week? Why is this the most powerful thing? Because it's here that we meet God as God's people. And we are reminded together our worth is in Him and in nothing else. It's in the context of worship that, that we see this irreplaceable reality coming to bear that we hear the voice of Jesus saying, I love you. You are mine and I am yours. It's where we meet our spouse whose name is Jesus. Dear friends, there really is no replacement to what we're doing in this place this morning. It sounds so self-serving. I didn't want to say this all week. I mean, it's like a car salesman telling you you need a car, you know. But here's the reality. This is the most important thing that we do. Whew. And yet, everything is going to convince us that this is the most negotiable thing that we do. Everything is going to press against us and even believe, I need rest, so therefore I'll skip church. And God says, this is what I made you for. This is where you're revived. This is where your heart is filled. This is where you repent of the idolatry of trusting the functional trust that you have of the, the idols that you're holding on to and you get me. This is where you meet the reality of God and the reality that you're worth more to Him than anything. Even His own Son He gave for you. Do you see it? This is the practice of glory. This is where we find our true value. But thirdly, Jesus empowers our worship because he provides for us, because he shows us we're value to him, as well as we are free to do good to others. This, this little phrase, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is showing us how to practice Sabbath. And, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on money, um, 
man, this series on rest is almost harder. I think it is harder than preaching on money. Because we're all just kind of like deer in the headlights. All right, well, tell me what to do. You know, this is, but think about this. If you are working, if you are laboring, you do not have time for others, for your neighbor. Because your hand is to the plow. But when you have a day off, and you are trusting God to provide for you, and your identity is reoriented to the reality that you are valuable to God through the person of Jesus Christ, then you are freed to love your neighbor. This was the prime, this was a huge thrust of, of the Old Testament context for, um, for the Sabbath. The people of God could care about not just themselves, but their neighbor. A religious person can't rest because his whole life is consumed with, and these Pharisees are evidence, their whole lives are consumed with getting God's favor through a performance. But the Christian can let go of that, and we can love our neighbor because we have one who's already performed for us. The gospel itself frees us to, on the Sabbath, do good to those around us. Now, there, there are two things here to consider. And we really need to hear this in a Western context. The Sabbath is not a day that is to be focused on you or me. The Sabbath is a day to focus on God that we might be some good to neighbor. Unless you're believing that God is going to provide for me and I'm valuable to him, it's only when you believe those two things that you can start doing good to your neighbor. It's then you're free. You're free to love someone. You're free to not just think about yourself. You're free not to make the Sabbath some narcissistic day where it's all about you and what you do. But it's about God and his restoration that you might be sent out to do good. Do you hear me there? You see, doing good in the Christian life is a propulsion of the love that you're drawing down on in Christ Jesus. It's not a work unto salvation. It is a work that flows from your salvation. When I'm convinced that God loves me, when I'm convinced that he's my heavenly father and he's not putting a $165,000 deficit on my shoulders, but it's on his shoulders then I can love my neighbor and not use my neighbor. Then I can care more about his needs than my work and what I'm facing. Friends, the re is that not the law? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, the Sabbath day, being a day of liberation, we can love our neighbor. We can get face-to-face -face with people. We can eat together. We can value each other. We can encourage each other. And we can bring those who don't have food to the table. Do you see it? It's a day of liberation where there's equality. You're rich, you're poor. Everybody takes the day. Everybody's believing the same thing. You are, your, your commonality around the table is not your taste for food. But your commonality around your table is the reality that we have a God who works for us. 
And therefore we are resting and enjoying. I love it. One commentator said the Sabbath was instituted to be a blessing for man. To keep him healthy. To make him happy. And to render him holy. Man was not created to be the Sabbath's slave. It's just the opposite. You were free, but how do we use our freedom? Paul tells us, don't use your freedom for your selfishness. But use your freedom for love. Remember those around you. And then, um, and Walter Brueggemann, and I told you about this book. I'm, I'm going to tell you again. We have a whole different crowd here than was here last week. Uh, but Walter Brueggemann, in his book, Sabbath as Resistance, couldn't, could not recommend a book more than this book, Sabbath as Resistance, Walter Brueggemann. He, he looks at the Old Testament and he talks about how um, the Old Testament people were God, of God were unique in that they, welcomed, they were to welcome the foreigner and the eunuch. And the, the, the litmus test of whether or not a foreigner or um, a eunuch could come and be a part of them was the Sabbath. It's not prove yourself, it's prove that you really trust God by the fact that you can rest. Crazy. And then he says this. How astonishing that of all the conditions for entry into the community, the party of inclusiveness might have selected, they opted for Sabbath. They made Sabbath the single specific requirement for membership. It's crazy. You have to rest. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> Who are these people? It's nuts. The community welcomes, or excuse me, that's because Sabbath represents a radical disengagement from the producer-consumer rat race of the empire. The community welcomes members of any race or nation or gender or social condition so long as that person is defined by justice, mercy, compassion, and not competition, achievement, production, or acquisition. There is no mention of purity, only work stoppage with a neighborly pause for humanness. Unbelievable. Dear friends, we were made for this, so how do we do it? True rest is only found in Jesus. Sleep experts tell us that I mean, you have to go to what they call the REM cycle of sleep in order to wake up rested. So that's like the deepest rest that you can have. It's the REM cycle, all right? And if you don't go there, it doesn't matter how much time you spend with your eyes closed, you're not going to be refreshed and rested, all right? So that's for physical sleep. The Sabbath is available to us not just to take a day off, but the Sabbath is available to us that we might experience the REM of the soul. And it happens here, but it also happens in the solitude of wherever we want to be. You cannot meet God in the hecticness, the, the hectic, frantic, anxious schedule that we keep today. I've told you before, I've, social media is, is being used in such a bad way because what it does is it completely fills up our moments of solitude. We have got to learn not just to take 
time off. But we've got to learn how to be quiet before God, feasting on God. I'm, I'm going to talk about Christian meditation in, in our Sunday school class this coming Sunday. And one of the primary points that I'm going to be making is that yoga, meditation, mindfulness, all these things that the world are into are effective to a degree. Why? Because they're moving in the right, they're moving away from the wrong direction and they're moving toward a good direction. But they are never going to give you the REM of the soul. Why? Because Christian meditation is not emptying your mind of everything. It's emptying your mind that you might fill your mind with God through His Word. Because that is what, it, it's going to that deep level. It's going to Psalm uh, 62.1 and saying, um, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For he is, for from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my fortress and my salvation. I will not be put to shame. To God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. You see, your soul, read the psalm. Just start going through the psalms and just start highlighting soul. Cry out. Lifting my eye. Go to the psalms and look at if this is not the primary thrust of the psalms. Finding one's rest. Actively finding one's rest in God alone. The writer of Hebrews speaks, or he, he does something really weird to us as workaholic Westerners. He uses rest as a metaphor for our salvation. Really interesting in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. Listen, he says, Therefore, since the promise, not of salvation, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found uh, to have fallen short of it. And he's referring to um, the people of God in the Old Testament that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and rejected God. He led them unto rest. All you got to do is get your food in the morning. It's going to be on the ground. All you got to do. No, nah, we don't like that. We want meat. Whew. Man. Well... Since that promise, they, even their disobedience couldn't, didn't take the promise away. The promise still stands. Then he says, in verses 9 through 11, chapter 4, there, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest. He's talking about getting converted. Isn't that crazy? Enter God's rest, also rest from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Real quickly, the only way to find true rest is to stop the inner murmur and the inner anxiety that is seeking to use work and performance as a means to justify us and give us a sense of real significance as human beings. You see, I want to run fast. I, I want to hit a PR in some of you ran the, uh, I, some of you ran, uh, the half marathon, the marathon, uh, maybe 5K, 10K yesterday. And, and what were you looking at for those you competitive runners? I know who you are. You're looking at your time. 
And I was doing the same thing on Thanksgiving morning, man. I had a PR and I broke it. And guess what? I felt so good about myself for the rest of the day. And I'm still feeling good about myself. But you know what? One of my cross-country teammates from, what, 100 years ago ran about two minutes a mile faster. I'm like, dude, you're still running that fast? You, you were running that fast in high school. You're 53 years old. And now I feel bad about myself. <laughs> I can't rest. You see, when I was trying to go on sabbatical, I worked frantically for months trying to get ready. You can't get ready. That's what you do. You're going out of town. Oh, you're going to take your day Oh, I got to get... Gotta get everything done. And it's never done. You see, the only way that God could rest on the seventh day is He looked back at each day and He said, It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. Only He knows the completion of a day and of His work. You see, we're looking at the wrong work. The only way that we're going to rest is if we listen to Jesus when he on the cross after living his life on this earth under the law, obeying it perfectly, that we might have credit for his performance. He goes to the cross to be condemned for our sins. So he has accomplished our right standing before God through his obedience to every iota of the law. And he has taken the guilt and the shame of all of our sin upon himself that he might be condemned in the flesh. And what did he say? What were his... It is finished. Dear friends, you will never get to that point in your life when you can say it is finished. And that's what you're all trying to do and it's what I'm trying to do. I want a church that never has financial challenges. I want a church where everybody's happy. I want a family that always encourages me. I want to I want to never have to worry about Folks, that's just not reality. But there is a reality. And his name is Jesus. He said, it is finished. That's the end of your struggle for identity. It's the end of your struggle. It, it, it's the end of you striving to feel significant. He is your significant. And nothing can change it. And that's the Sabbath, dear friends. The Sabbath is going to him the one who in verse 6 says, there's something greater than the temple, guys. And his name is Jesus. The only way that we can take genuine Sabbath is by letting our souls deeply rest in him. Let me just give you one practical way. We're going to be doing this in Sunday school. We've written the devotional. It kind of leads you in that way. Let me give you one practical thing. I, I did that, I did this exercise this week. I was meditating on Matthew 6, and thank God I was, because our middle daughter, who is pregnant, and she put this on Facebook, so I'm, she, um, something began to happen to her body that threatened the baby, and it was traumatic. And Rachel and I were flying to meet her at the ER. Um, and I told Rachel, I said, unbelievable, this morning, 
You know what I was meditating on? Matthew 6. Do not be anxious. Your Father knows what you need. Do not be anxious. Your Father knows what you need. And there was a deep sense in me. Everything was screaming in me, God, don't let her lose this baby. But there was, a, there was another voice that said, Richard, even if, even if your Father knows what you need. That morning, I had taken that, and I started thinking about why I feel so bad about myself. And I just started listing the things that I felt shameful about. Literally, just listing them. I couldn't believe how long the list, I'd started, and the list just started going. I'm like, I can't believe I don't believe the gospel this much right now this morning. It was unbelievable. I felt bad for who I couldn't go visit, for who I forgot to call back, for I just kept going and going and going. I even felt bad for the deficit, like it's my, you know, I, start, I was I just shamed for all these things. And then I said, God made him who had no sin to be my sin, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. And in that moment, the experience, I was experiencing shame in that moment prior to that. And it went from shame to delight that the Lord Jesus has set me free. And friends, it's the only way that you're going to be liberated from your shame and guilt. It's to come to Jesus. It's to come to these tables this morning and not just drink a little juice and eat a little bread, but to say, I bring my shame with me. I bring my guilt with me, and I'm leaving it right here. The broken body, the shed blood, that's what this table is all about. The church through the ages has, has debated on, is God's presence literally, does the bread literally, become, or is it figuratively, or is it, you know, all the... Jesus said, I meet you right here. This is my body and blood. I don't know what that means, but it's real. It is real. This is the food. Why? Because we are feasting on the reality that our shame has been absorbed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And my working and my striving is done. And my glory is secure. Dear friends, would you come this morning and practice Sabbath at these tables? During the next song... Yes, tithe. <laughs> but also, probably more importantly, would you list in your mind the, the shame, the things you feel shameful about, the things that are making you feel dirty, the things that are holding you back. You can believe the love of God for your spouse or your friend or your other church members, but you just can't believe it for you. Name the reasons why you can't believe it for you and leave it here at these tables. That's what Jesus would have for us. And then friends, practice this throughout the week. Take moments, take stretches, take time in the morning at night throughout the day to remember that God is taking care of you, that God values you, that, that, that He has freed you to do good to others, and He has done so because He has settled the reality of your significance in His work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You. Lord Jesus, you are our liberation. You are our Sabbath. Would you free the souls of all of us in this room this morning that we might dance before your presence in the freedom that we have in Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that you would make us restful men and women. 
not seeking to prove ourselves using our work, using our relationships, using our hobbies, using... Oh God, I pray that we would stop using and we would just start believing the reality that Lord Jesus, when you said it's finished, it is. God, move in our hearts. Give us that freedom, oh God. Give us that freedom. Give us that freedom. Free your people this morning. Show up at these tables, Lord, and liberate our soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we respond to the grace of God as we bring tithes and offerings to Him this morning and as we contemplate what is holding us back from the liberation of His forgiveness. Bring it to Jesus this morning.